We are on episode 18 of the show uh, of excellent people talking to other excellent people. I think we can rename our show to that. Uh, this episode is brought to you by, um, just kidding, we don't have any sponsors. It's brought to you by <laughs> my computer and Courtney's computer. So, uh, and we have a great and guest. Skype. And Skype. Right. Yeah, and, and Skype. Yeah, we, but we're not sponsored by any of those vendors. So, just making it very clear. Uh, we have a good guest today. Uh, welcome, Meg. Hey, how's it going? So, why don't you just give us an intro? Because I always feel awkward introducing other people, and they're always like, well, you missed out as a key thing about what I actually do. So, well, how about you introduce yourself? Sure, sure, I can do that. So, uh, right now, I'm a product lead uh, at Kaggle. Um, and if you haven't heard of Kaggle, Kaggle is an online data science community. Um, and yeah, I, I love working with online technical communities, including Kaggle and uh, data science. So yeah, that's that's me. And you're very so, prolific on Twitter too. Yes, yeah, I am a little prolific on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can't help but notice, obviously, um, you have your Stack Overflow hoodie on. Yeah, Stack Overflow. We're both Stack Overflow alums, but. Um, you mentioned like Kaggle was a community and you went to Stack Overflow too, right? Yeah. So you kind of bounce between the community uh, mm -hmm. for tech. Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, online like tech communities are kind of like my personal brand. Um, if, yeah, that and Twitter, I guess. Um, and yeah, so I've been at Kaggle kind of like discontinuously for I think like 4.7 years according to like my internal Google profile. Um, but I did spend kind of like in between those years, um, about a year at Stack Overflow as um, the product manager for the public Q&A platform. Awesome. So yeah. you, you have plenty of experience with technical communities. What brought you to that? I'm always curious because I mean, different people have different journeys and how they yeah. start, right? And it's, it's not a typical career journey where you can look at a resume somewhere and say, oh, this person is going to be great for technical communities. What was your journey there? Yeah, that's a super good question. So it was really started um, back in maybe like 2015 or so um, where I wanted to be part of like an online data science community. Uh, my first job after quitting my PhD was as a data scientist at this like boutique market research firm in Pittsburgh. Um, and I was their only data science scientist, excuse me. And that was a little bit like isolating. Um, you know, I was like first job like out of, you know, academia, I kind of like felt like I was making up everything as I was going along, um, which was like a lot of fun. But, you know, I wanted to talk to other people who, you know, uh, you know, maybe knew a little bit more about what they're doing. And that's how um, or that's why I originally joined uh, Kaggle as like a user. Um, so Kaggle is a great platform for like meeting other data scientists um, and playing around with data and uh, uh, teaming up with people to participate in machine learning competitions. So I thought it would be a great way to kind of like delve into the world of data scientists and meet other machine learners. And it was great for like a few months. And then um, I actually, uh, they, they posted a, a job ad in like a newsletter a few months after I joined uh, looking for like a, like, um, like a, a contract content marketing uh, like person. Uh, so I thought like, hey, what better way to like learn data science and get connected with the community than to kind of like do it a little bit of myself. So 
Um, I, I um, you know, didn't quite get to dabble as a user as much as I wanted to on Kaggle um, before actually, you know, getting paid uh, paid to, to work for them. Um, but yeah, I, I started by just creating like lots of like cool technical content, got to interview lots of like amazing data scientists um, who were winning machine learning competitions. I got to run their Twitter uh, for a short period. <laughs> so uh, yeah, again, Twitter, part of my career journey or story or whatever. Um, and yeah, it was really that experience that like led me to just fall in love with communities. I just love like being in that space between like the company and you know the users and having being like that that direct direct line and getting to meet really cool people and uh, you know learn their stories um, and yeah obviously now I, I build for those users as a product product manager at Kaggle. Today. So this is really interesting because you mentioned that you were doing um, kind of an academic focus in data. Yeah. Um, with your like college studies and mm -hmm. then you moved into a, a traditional like data analyst job. You were kind of isolated. Yeah. Um, and then you stumbled upon Kaggle. Yeah. Like, which totally probably changed your career directory, right? Like mm -hmm. I could assume I could have seen that the alternate story here could, what it could have been, you could have just been a data scientist, um, like oh, kind of locked down into that path, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was that like transformation into a product person Going from a you know data background, yeah. I feel like it's naturally coupled with being a good product manager. But uh, what spurned you forth into that um, area of interest? Yeah. What did that look like during um, it's, transformation? It's funny you say like how I stumbled into Kaggle. I feel like my entire career of like stumbling, I stumbled into everything basically. Um, you know, it was a lot of luck, but also like a lot of, um, yeah, just uh, identifying what I was passionate about um, along the way and kind of like using that to drive my career. And so how it really happened is, you know, I mentioned I was working full time as a data scientist in market research and was just working contract like 10 hours a week, maybe for Kaggle doing content. And um, during that period, like it was, this would have been like the summer of 2016 or so. Uh, they that's when Kaggle launched this public data platform, um, and they had originally started with like just a few like um, data sets, like maybe six or so data sets that they kind of hand curated. But then they launched this new kind of like they called it BYOD, Bring Your Own Data, uh, where anybody could publish um, data sets on Kaggle. And um, I just got really interested in like this as you know a new platform for Kaggle um, to make data you know available you know to anybody who wants to, to use it in the world. And you know I kind of got interested in like, okay, how can we make this successful and kind of promote it from like this you know content marketing angle? It was like a new channel. Um, uh, you know something new that we wanted to promote through uh, the channels that I was working on. Um, and being a data scientist was, you know, interested in looking at like, hey, product analytics, like how many people are using this? Like back in those days, we had like a Slack, um, like, like, I don't know, bot or whatever that triggered every single time somebody published a data set and like would ping me directly. Um, the thought of that now today is, <laughs> I think I would my head would explode. I was going to say, that's not going to scale today, yeah, given the volume. Scale. Yeah, that's not going to scale. Um, but, you know, I got really interested in like, yeah, how can we make this like platform successful? Um, and kind of, you know, started to bring ideas to developers like, hey, what about this? Hey, what about, what about that? You know, 
Um, and, you know, ultimately it led to like, hey, let's let's hire Meg full time. Like, um, uh, it, so yeah, it, it ultimately led to like a job offer um, to, to work for Kaggle full time. Uh, and I think I was then like technically like marketing manager was my title. Um, but it was a little bit also like maybe like a developer advocacy role um, in that sense too. And um, uh, then it was like, again, with like the stumbling, uh, you know, a couple months after that was when Kaggle got acquired by Google. Um, and then, you know, we kind of like stumbled into like, wow, we have so many more resources. We can like hire like crazy. We can, um, you know, um, uh, yeah, we can get really creative. Um, and so that's when we kind of like staffed up a team of developers to work on the datasets platform. I hired a team of, of interns to help kind of like seed content and like do some, you know, um, kind of like more outreach to organizations who wanted to publish data sets, et cetera. And yeah, just more and more of my job started to look like, you know, kind of like a mix of developer advocacy program management, but also, um, you know, as we um, staffed up the developer team, you know, started also looking more like product management. So gradually kind of, you know, really um, uh, uh, kind of came into that role. And I'm really kind of like very thankful for that experience because, um, you know, uh, I think it's hard to break into your first job as a product manager. And this was yeah. like a very nice, um, you know, kind of set of circumstances for me that was kind of like, gradual like you know it went from like one developer two developer three four you know instead of like okay here's a team of like 30 people 30 35 people which is what it was you know around the time that i left kaggle to go work for stack overflow um it's an encouraging you know point of view because i think that a lot of we're seeing um people that want to move into the product space and like how do we become pm it's I think Dan tweeted something about this the other day it's like a chicken and the egg problem it's like well mm -hmm. you're gonna have some pm experience to be a pm Right, like to get your first gig. Yeah. How do you move into that? And in your case, it was like just kind of evolved. Yeah. Like yeah. You 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 received more and more um, responsibility, and like you were like, hey, she can lead a team, or she can build out a team for us. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think really, that? Yeah. What were some of the the skills that you feel helped you the most, though, um, to do that? To to kind of show. Hey, I can be this person that you need because you know I think that if you're going into an organization like Google, they're acquiring the company. They could have just been like, "Hey, we're just going to put one of our our people there, or right. we're going to hire somebody in, right, to do yeah. to be a product lead or whatever." Yeah. Um, what skills helped you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so for me, I always try to think about like you know what skills do I already have that I really want to kind of like flex and you know that I can really, you know, play to my strengths. And, you know, at the time it was my background in, in data science and quantitative analysis. Um, I also like to think that, um, you know, my background in social sciences helped me to think, you know, very thoughtfully about, um, you know, working with communities and, you know, just people. Um, and so those are kind of like the skills that, you know, I wanted to lean into as I, you know, developed as a product manager. And then, you know, that's kind of like one half of it. And then I wanted to also be really thoughtful about, you know, what are the skills that I need to acquire um, that are, you know, really going to be necessary for me to be, you know, further successful in this role. And for me, that was, um, you know, just building trust with developers and, 
you know, I don't have a background in computer science. Uh, I've never been a software developer, which is pretty common uh, at Google for product managers to have that kind of background, at least historically. I think it's changing a little bit now. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was kind of like, you know, very initially where I wanted to really, um, you know, beef up my own kind of like skill sets, at least in terms of communication. Um, and uh, I think I've talked about this a little bit on my blog, but really the, how I love to learn is just through kind of like immersion. I wanted to read all of the design docs that my developers were writing. Um, I wanted to, you know, be participate in like, you know, uh, any kind of like the same kind of like onboarding that other developers would do to really understand our like system architecture and um, I just kind of like dove head first into trying to understand like, okay, he made this, he or she made this decision, like why? Um, why was that, what, what were the constraints that, you know, you know, fed into that decision and just trying to be like, you know, like, you know, ears, eyes all open and just kind of like absorbing all of that. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's, you know, really what helped me uh, that and also just having like great coworkers who were just like, very patient and you know willing to to answer all of my like questions you know even if, even if it you know they were kind of like inconsequential like they could just say who cares like I just need to you know focus on my work but I'm like no I want to know so that you know the next time you know I'm able to kind of like maybe weigh in um, you know on some 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 choices in the future or something like that so um, yeah the, the, the interesting part is that you're getting it is that something that we discussed a couple times in this podcast is kind of the idea of being a polymath uh -huh. where you can't shoehorn yourself into this one skill right mm -hmm. because it's very easy to just say you know oh, i'm a data scientist i'll help right. you with data oh you need product decisions go go talk to somebody else but instead you kind of start picking up kind of a little bit here a little bit there and then yeah. you're becoming this kind of a you know i, I don't want to say like jack of all trades master of none uh, but it's more of like, you kind of, I mean, uh, yeah. as a product manager myself, like th yeah. that is true. You, you have to know a little bit of everything to be able to kind of piece things together and make good decisions. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's kind of the same path that you're describing where you went through this process of acquiring these many skills, becoming the expert in that and saying, okay, and now I can see clearly where exactly I'm going with the product. I see why certain decisions are made. Yeah. And, and the more people we have on our show, the more like, and we've talked to several people in product or managing product teams. And it's interesting because I'm starting to see this like um, a couple of different specializations. People either come from like a data background, people are coming from an engineering background. Um, we've had like one that came from a design background, but on the whole, most of them have had like a very solid foundation in something like psychology or like mm. working with people or understanding people. Like uh, that's a recurring theme that continues to come up. Like things that had happened in their undergrad studies, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I went to school for psychology. Yeah, I mean, or I, I did actually, yeah. <laughs> literature or whatever, it's like, yeah. uh, they get this, again, back to Den's point, it's like, mm -hmm. they get this kind of well-rounded, um, you know, education and like understanding humans. Yeah. Which is, yeah. The, like, the like honestly, that is one of the hardest parts of um, our jobs working in product, um, you know, yeah. communicating to other people, trying to get them on board with your ideas and then motivating them to actually execute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, that's so funny. I don't, I don't talk about it too often, but I did actually do an undergrad in psychology. Um, uh, yeah, that's what my undergrad is in. And uh, I studied um, kind of specifically individual differences psychology. 
tests and you know things like personality psychology and you know basically what makes people different or what in what ways can people be different and how does that influence you know how they interact with the world and um uh yeah i see that as like yeah super applicable but um, i think it's it's so yeah. funny too because maybe um the both of you've heard this in the past where people would like make fun of you if you were like going to school for psychology like oh what are you gonna do with that you can be a psychologist it's like well actually you can go into product you can manage yeah like, <laughs> totally you can do a lot with that it's totally. very flexible yeah and i also um i i, uh, I have a couple master's degrees in in linguistics um where i also studied like I studied dialects. Um, I studied uh, like phonetics and like how language changes and how languages can and are different. Um, and um, also like sociolinguistics, so how people use language and social settings and things like that. And that was also very, yeah, very, like incredibly applicable. And I, I think that more linguists should be product managers or you know just work in product. So. Um, yeah, gonna make that plug for. Yeah. This is fantastic. You're literally taking the polymath to kind of its most, uh, I want to say, positively extreme side of things, where you have just <laughs> yeah. so many sides of the, like, you know, you have degrees in linguistics, you had a PhD, you know, psychology, you're a data scientist. Like, this is how can we hire you as a product manager? Is my <laughs> next question. Uh, I think it gets to that. Um, but would all these things combine? I, I think. Personally, like speaking of the product side, like Kaggle is fantastic. I the other day I was trying to uh, build a machine learning model that would analyze tweets mm -hmm. and that would you know d determine which tweets get more popular based on their sarcasm score, right? Oh, and I was nice. like, okay, well, okay, where where do you get a data set that's been labeled? And somebody said, you know, this is sarcastic, this is not sarcastic, and lo and behold, Kaggle is mm -hmm. the place because I the first thing that popped up when I searched for it was like, Kaggle. Like, yep. cool, let's create an account and I'll get the data set. Um, so g given that you have so much use, get, the service gets a lot of visibility because every time I talk about machine learning, data science, Kaggle kind of comes up, it's like, oh yeah, just, just go there. They have either a data set, they have the competitions, they have the people yeah. that can help you solve the problem. How do you scale this community and kind of maintain the, I want to say like the usefulness of the product because when you have more people, I think that that's kind of the, the product management challenge where mm -hmm. as your when your product is small enough, you have few customers, they'll tell you yeah. kind of like, oh, maybe this would be nice. So you kind of can gauge what idea is good, what is not. When you have millions of customers, all of a sudden now you're like, okay, who do I listen to? Right. Yeah. So how do you do that? Yeah, oh, that's a that's a yeah excellent question. I think it's something that's like super like pertinent to where Kaggle is kind of in its like history right now. Um, I think it's, it's, um, uh, I think it's kind of like a problem that we're, we're really, you know, facing right now. Like we recently, I think it was this summer, just hit 5 million registered users. And in fact, we had like an internal competition to predict when we would, you know, the like date that we would hit the 5 million users. I think I got second place or maybe third place. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a real thing. Um, so there's, um, one thing that's unique about Kaggle, I think, though, is that a lot of it is what we do is not scalable. Um, and the, you know, the two kind of like main things being like our competitions platform, totally not scalable. We can only launch, we only have capacity to launch like, you know, a pretty small number of competitions. Um, and uh, the kind of the community that is um, like super highly engaged around competitions is um 
uh, you know, maybe maybe a little bit smaller, but you know, kind of like what they produce then um, is uh, you know really really high quality uh, work. Um, you know, obviously, and we obviously have very strong signal about what is you know very high quality about what people are creating on Kaggle. Um, so if you're not for those who may be watching this who aren't familiar. Um, we run these like supervised machine learning competitions um, where a company posts some kind of like data set and they have some kind of supervised machine learning problem they want to solve. Um, a lot of our competitions lately have been super um, have been computer vision, um, so you know object detection, etc. Um, I think we just launched one that was like uh, some kind of like plant and detecting like if it's like the leaves are diseased or not or something like that. Um, and then users make submissions and those get ranked on a, on a leaderboard according to an, an evaluation algorithm. Um, and so you can really clearly see like the contributions from these users are, you know, the best kind of like in some objective sense. Um, and, you know, what they do is they share uh, notebooks. Uh, so notebooks um, being like Python or R code analyzing the data set. Um, and so commonly, you know, what people would do to find high quality um, kind of examples of how to do something would be to look at what are the top competitors creating and sharing and you know what's getting like the most upvotes and um, comments and things like that. I call those kind of like social validation about the quality of, of content that gets produced. Um, so that's you know pretty non-scalable I would I would say um, or at least you know it's not something we're attempting to really scale um, in a, in a significant way. And then the second is we have a, our learn platform. Um, and so we have a pretty small number of uh, like learn courses um, that we curate, we create, you know, completely, you know, quote in-house. Um, and uh, it's on subjects from like computer vision to uh, SQL, beginner and advanced, data visualization, uh, natural language processing, et cetera. And I think it's maybe 15 or so courses, and um, uh, those are also using our notebooks platform. And um, they're kind of just like these hands-on, kind of like really quick bites, quibbies of, <laughs> of data science. Um, uh, and, Hopefully, the, it, it's not going to take the yeah. fate of Quibi. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. It's been one of, yeah one of the most like, yeah, uh, successful parts of Kaggle. Um, and that's also not scalable. We're really thoughtful about, you know, the quality of that um, content that gets, um, that we, we produce as part of that. Um, we only have a couple of uh, instructors that are creating it, um, but just sort of like, yeah, the, the community that it generates around it and the people that, you know, use, learn, you know, um, has been you know, just proliferating. Um, uh, Alexis Cook, who she's our head of Kaggle Learn, just shared with me. They started creating like forums for people to connect with other users who are, you know, taking these learn courses. And I was totally floored to see like the, yeah, the kind of like the 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 quality and the depth and the, just the volume of engagement around like, yeah, these communities that are forming among people taking these courses. Um, so I think we've just, you know, found these ways to non-scalably kind of like scale our community in kind of like a healthy way. Um, but that said, you know, like we are looking for, you know, da the data sets, public data sets platform is an example of something that is kind of like our, we consider that more of like our scalable content engine because 
anybody can publish a data set and people create notebooks on those data sets. Um, you know, there's some discussion on data sets, et cetera. And that's where we've had to be a little bit more thoughtful about, um, you know, the quality of that content. Um, so for example, one thing that we did, I think this is a year, year and a half ago or so, we um, launched this feature that's like this data set usability rating. Um, and um, it just kind of like takes some like kind of indicators um, of, of quality of a data set and how documented it is um, and just kind of distills that to a single number. Um, and that's, you know, on the one hand, it's an incentive to the person publishing the data set to, you know, make it high quality um, or just kind of, you know, some people just don't even know what a high quality data set would look like. So it kind of, you know, provides instruction in that, in that sense as well. And then on the other hand, you know, for people who are um, consuming data sets, you know, that's kind of like at a quick glance, like, okay, this data set has like, you know, these key pieces of information that I need to know um, uh, that are important for me to, to ascertain quality. Um, and we, we did a lot of like um, interviews with um, different kind of like data set publishing organizations to kind of get a sense of like what are the right ways uh, to measure quality of a public data set. Um, but yeah, all of that said, like I think, um, uh, yeah, this is something more and more we're kind of like wrestling with. How do we maintain quality of interactions in such a large community as, as we are kind of maybe hitting like a new phase of, of Kaggle in our growth? And for well, any of the listeners that like aren't familiar with Kaggle, you know, I did, I'm on the periphery, periphery of data science. So I'm kind of like a consumer, like I, I monitor it in my day job, but going to Kaggle and like looking at the data sets is kind of fun. There's like all sorts of like really like vibrant and unique things like uh, COVID versus immunization, or there was a competition. I saw like the, the initial ones, like the Titanic machine mm -hmm. learning from disaster. Like uh, what are, what are some of your favorites that you've seen come out of the community? like data sets that are like fun and memorable for you? Oh, that's a super good question. Um, let's see. I, I love the data sets that like are just really reflective of like the very unique diverse interests of our community. Um, like a lot of people will publish data sets that they've like, you know, that's some project that they scraped from the internet. So like, one I remember I really liked like earlier in the days of the data sets platform was somebody scraped like ratings from uh, like Beer Advocate. Is that what the website is called? Where you can like rate yeah. beers or something like that. I've rate seen one for like wine reviews. Wine reviews, Problem yeah. Ratings. Yeah, so I love all those, uh, all those data sets because they're like, um, yeah, it's just somebody bringing their kind of like personal project, it's whatever they're interested in to Kaggle, and they just want to share it with more people. Like, I just think that's really cool. Pokemon um, type matchup data, that's like the one that I had bookmarked. Like, yeah. I don't know like, why I need this, but I'm going to need it. I know at some point when I'm talking to my brother about Pokemon. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think um, I, yeah, I've also published a few that I like too. Um, I think my most recent data set was like on. Uh, dwarf Fortress issues. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the video game Dwarf Fortress, um, but they have like a public issue tracker. And I follow this like Twitter account that just like tweets issues from the Dwarf Fortress issue tracker because they're always so goofy. Like, um, I don't know, I have to look up an example, but they're just like so ridiculous. It's kind of like, you know, patch notes when like Sims gets patched or something and they're always like, yeah, the Sim can't I don't know, like whatever. Um, 
uh, but yeah, so I published the data set of like dwarf fortress issues and um, yeah, it's just cool. Now anybody can use it. It's just awesome. I don't know. I love it. I think the the very kind of important takeaway for me is, and this is kind of goes anathema to what some people might think about community building where somebody has an idea, they'll bootstrap, I don't know, like a Slack community, a forum or something, and they, you know, focus on, oh, let's just invest a lot of money in like advertising so people can discover it, SEO and all this stuff. You're taking the approach where you're focusing on value, right? Like yeah. I'm adding value to the customer. You find data sets, you can experiment with them, you connect to people that can help you. So you're bringing a lot of value to your customers instead mm -hmm. of trying to focus on just like, let's bring in more people for the sake of more people. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, I, I think I'm a little bit kind of like idealistic as a product manager, but I personally, like that's what I'm passionate about is just like value for our users um, and just providing a good experience and just helping them be successful in, you know, um, whatever they're seeking to do. Like I think, um, yeah, some of the most rewarding experiences for me are like, uh, I think I t this is another thing I think I tweeted the other day. Um, but just the like whenever I'm sitting in like on UX research interviews and the number of times that I hear from our users like, you know, we finished like an hour long UX study and at the end they just want to tell like us about how Kaggle changed their life and like how they got a job and how they you know they learned something from Kaggle that they applied at work and they got a promotion or they met somebody who changed their life and like the number of times that that happens at the end of like a, of a user interview is like nothing like, I don't know, I just, yeah. Nothing yeah, I think, be more excited than that. It's just so yeah, rewarding. That, um, that is hands down my favorite part of any user study. It's that kind of after the study, because through the study, I don't know why, but no matter how much you tell customers that, just be honest, right? Tell us exactly mm -hmm. what you think. They will never be fully honest. They'll be like, oh, you know, I tried this button. I guess this is intuitive. But after, once the recording stops, once you're done, they're like, okay, oh, can I be honest also? Like, I absolutely love this one feature in your product. You're like, totally irrelevant, but this is like, yeah, let's let's keep talking. Like, yeah, keep going. tell me, like, <laughs> what, what do you like about this feature? And they can just keep going on. And that's hands down my favorite part about user studies mm -hmm. because you, you get that kind of unfiltered feedback unrelated to what you're asking, but then you kind of start parsing it and you realize that, wait a second, there's a lot of valuable information here that they're telling us they did not even plan on telling it and in a totally. good way. It's not like we're trying to like swindle them out of some information. It's more like their honest feedback about something that is very much unfiltered. It's not kind of constrained yes. by their uh, yes. initial. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, and it's so valuable to me. Like, I mean, I don't care if it's like critical feedback or if it's like, you know, praise is great because then I get to like celebrate my team and say like, hey, great work. Um, but, you know, critical feedback too. And um, yeah, like one of the things that I've also enjoyed about, you know, um, working at Kaggle and, you know, is also something I enjoyed about Stack Overflow is like um, being in spaces, uh, you know, shared spaces with the community. Um, and like the opportunities for that really like raw unfiltered feedback. Like there's so many different like Kaggle Slack communities and I'm like a lurker in a number of them um, and like a moderator in one. And like, I try to like, you know, I have to keep an, a balance, right? But you know, if I see somebody kind of like organically like ranting about something that they hate about Kaggle, like I'll jump in and be like, hey, tell me more. Or like, you know, is it okay if I pass this feedback along to my team? Like. Um, like I, yeah, I, I, I 
I love that part of being. Yeah, and usually when, you know, working at Sacro for myself, usually there are gems of truth, right? Like, and mm -hmm. there's some reason that that person got so worked up that they're maybe talking about something or they might be disgruntled or dissatisfied with the product. Yeah. That's like a really powerful motivator and like you should pay uh -huh. attention to those signals, um, even if they're being maybe interpreted wrong by the audience. Right. Like, um, I think that was something that was really tough at Stack Overflow for a couple of years is like managing that and knowing cool. how to strike the right communication, mm -hmm. uh, using the right voice to yep. communicate to the community is also yep. really critical so that they feel like they're being listened to. And I think mm -hmm. product development just takes, you know, I, I felt like we moved really fast at Stack Overflow sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. That the community didn't always see it that way, right? Um, it felt yeah. like glacial pace to them and like little things that they've been complaining about for years don't get handled. Mm -hmm. um, what is one of your proudest accomplishments over the course of your career? Like something that you shipped and then you got great you know, feedback from in a user research session or yeah. you kind of close the book on it, right? You ship it and then it's great to hear that went really well. People received it really well. Yeah. Oh, such a such a great question. I mean, probably the the most immediate thing com that comes to mind is um, like the work that me and my team have done over the last year to make our notebooks product at Kaggle like reliable and stable. Um, we've you know really like uh, recently I think you know last I think it was like last summer so yeah a few months ago now um, we shipped some changes that just like completely altered just the perceptions of reliability and actual reliability of the product that was kind of like paradigm shifting. Um, and I was, I was really, really uh, proud of that accomplishment. And that was, um, uh, yeah, very rewarding for us, for, for yeah, me and my team, because it's something that, you know, we've really struggled with um, for as long as we've had our notebooks product. It's just a pretty complex, you know, um, yeah, service, you know, everybody's got a, basically the equivalent of like a laptop in the, uh, in the cloud, essentially like worth of, uh, compute power and, you know, um, uh, yeah, managing that has been, you know, a challenge. And so, yeah, we, we recently like, you know, what, I, what we, what I did is, you know, kind of looked at like user feedback and, um, we, we collect, um, like month, uh, we collect data like monthly um, using this survey called HATS. It's like happiness and tracking survey. It's like kind of survey that's pretty standard at Google. Like if you are in a Google product, you'll get like the like pop up occasionally. Like if you hang up on Meet, you know, or something. Well, you probably don't use Meet, um, but you know, you'll get like a, a hat survey basically. So we do the same thing at Kaggle. And um, when I first rejoined Kaggle, I kind of poured over that feedback. And one of my observations was um, like all of the work that we'd been doing on reliability and stability was great, but it wasn't really visible to the end user because, um, you know, it took sometimes like 30 seconds to a minute for a session to start. Um, and while it was starting, it was just like a blank screen. Um, and they, I mean, that that obviously was just not like a great experience of just like waiting and staring at a blank screen. Like, what's happening? Is it is it doing anything? Um, when is my when is my notebook going to be available? Um, so yeah, we shipped some changes that allowed us to you know show the notebook editor this. It's basically an IDE essentially. Um, you know, while the VM is starting in the background, um, so they can see like 
they can start writing code, you know, kind of like, you know, within seconds instead of, you know, waiting 30 seconds to a minute. And um, uh, that was, yeah, I mean, the, the feedback that we got was like, yeah, like I said, like kind of like it was like a paradigm shift for the product. Like, and what we did is we did um, like a pre-post uh, survey um, specifically on reliability. So we knew we were going to ship this change. We hypothesized it would be pretty monumental. Um, so we sent like a one-time, one-question survey um, about reliability, um, shipped the change, and then surveyed again. And I think it was like a 33% reduction in people who said the you know mm -hmm. the service felt unreliable or something similar to that. Um, and that was yeah really really exciting. Um, and now we get uh, lots of feedback about reliability still, but it's it's, um, it's changed. It's the 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 type of feedback has completely changed. So instead of saying it's like slow and and shitty, um, you know, they say like, hey, would it be it would, it would be better if you could say save cell state, you know, when I refresh the page, or you know, they give like a lot more kind of like pointed suggestions or real feature feature requests, um, you know, that can kind of help us continue to make the service feel more reliable and stable and just higher quality experience. Um, so yeah, it was just like seeing that in the quantitative data, like in the survey, seeing the kind of like qualitative feedback change has been really exciting, you know, because we get to keep working on this problem. Um, and then, you know, three, like we uh, we did this like internal report, but we were excited about it. So we actually shared it externally. So that's another thing I love about my job is I get to kind of like work in public, so to speak. And so we, we shared um, the result of this work in like a blog post uh, with our users and you know they like chime in on the comments like yeah it's great like this is awesome like great work like you know they we really appreciate you know all the work that your team has done and you know it's that's also pretty rewarding because you know this is a technical community too they're data scientists a lot of them are actual you know software engineers and so they appreciate um kind of like transparency and just a peek behind like um you know the curtain to see um what we're doing and i think that like helps them kind of appreciate you know the work that we're doing and I love being able to share that back with my developers, you know, it makes them feel good too, you know, and um, so, yeah. Also, like, I think this is a, like, a gold nugget of knowledge is that in any mature good team, the knowledge that you get from your customers is shared. It's not something that you silo for yourself or you like, as a PM, I'm the one that knows the customer needs, all of you don't care, right? Like, you want to involve <laughs> engineers, you want to involve your data scientists in knowing Totally. What are people asking for? Like, how, yeah. how do you democratize knowledge? To me, this is the, the worst thing is when a team tries to hoard the knowledge and say, no, 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 this one person knows everything, nobody else. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not even an option. Yeah, I mean, so many good ideas come from, from anywhere and everywhere. You have to kind of like set up an ecosystem where, you know, if I, like, I, I just want to share, like, this is a problem. I think this is, you know, maybe I have an opinion that this is the biggest, most, like, highest leverage problem we can solve. Um, but, you know, I don't have to come up with every solution. You know, I didn't come up with the solution in this case. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, 100%. Like, we, and, you know, another thing that we love doing, too, is, like, um, uh, every, like, feature launch that we do, we typically do, write like, a little blog post or something. And, yeah, it's often, like, the developers, the designers themselves that write the blog post. And, um, yeah, so they get to kind of like have that opportunity to like, you know, interact with directly with with users and kind of like be responsive to feedback. Um, uh, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
it's not quite I as intense at Stack Overflow, where that was a little a bit of yeah. a scary experience. I think, yeah, Kaggle's community is a little different. I like being able to talk to you because I think, you know, we didn't work on the same team at Stack Overflow, but I think one of the things that we did pretty well at Stack Overflow is have access to data, whether you were a mm -hmm. engineer or designer or a PM. Yeah. Like, I had the same dashboard that I could go query um, as anybody else. And once I was trained on that, like, I could use it to my advantage um, at any point. Yeah. And I was able to make better decisions. I mean, there were numerous times I was able to make better decisions on a feature because I, I didn't need a very specific query to make make a call. It was a, a guess. Mm -hmm. And this is probably something that product teams overlook, or maybe at smaller companies. I, I'm not sure how, yeah. how common this is because my experience is every experience, but that experience is contrasted with like my Microsoft experience where oh, we're not, and it, it's not democratized. Yeah. And it's really hard to get data. And it's actually, that becomes very frustrating. Yeah. Um, so how do you, if you can't, I mean, I don't, I understand if you can't divulge everything, but like, how was that done on your team? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I'm excited about it because I, um, so at Google, we have like this whole 20% project thing or whatever, like somebody could work, spend 20% of their time on some passion project or some other initiative or whatever. Um, and as a product manager, it's more like 220% time, but whatever, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, mine happens to be, uh, evangelizing product analytics <laughs> on our team. Um, so I'm like a, a, I think it's like called a community contributor to our product analytics team. So, um, and basically my whole job is to like socialize, like how to use the tools to you know, use data to answer questions um, across our team and make people feel like empowered. You know, we, and you know, that's really important for Kaggle because we're a pretty small team. We're like 40, 50, between 40 and 50 people. And we only have um, two people working on, you know, pe two people whose like job is internal, like business analytics or data science or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, having access to data and knowing how to use the tools and, um, you know, get, you know, um, getting familiar with like, uh, best practices and things like that is super important to our team. Um, uh, just cause we wouldn't otherwise, we don't have the, the resources to kind of like farm that off to another team. Now is um, that built into like the new team members, like onboarding? do you introduce them to the different tools they're being used or like the expectation, right? Like here's the floor and, and this is kind of what we're going to expect from right. all of our team members to be at least, you know, cursory involved, like, you know, it exists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we have like a, I, I would say like, um, we're kind of like working on developing that kind of culture. And so we have a few things that are kind of like, uh, uh, best practices that we're trying to enculture, like um, uh, any feature launch that's, you know, larger than like X, like effort or something has to come with, you know, some queries or, you know, we have to like publicly share what were the goals and here's, you know, a dashboard or some queries that, you know, uh, we kind of pair with any launch announce announcement that anybody on the team can kind of like inspect and kind of, um, take a look at, um, and, um, uh, yeah, just trying to think of some other things. 
I mean, I'm a big like user of like templates and things like that, um, just to kind of like reduce my own cognitive load. So um, uh, I've also baked in uh, some certain things around like analytics um, and setting success metrics into our like our PID product requirements doc uh, template that we use, um, and uh, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just something I'm very like like early days trying to like start on my team to kind of like better socialize people. Um, uh, one of the things that I actually just started doing last week, which I also tweeted about, uh, was doing like analytics, like office hours uh, every Friday uh, kind of. Um, and it was like an idea that I got from Julia Silge, Dr. Julia Silge at Stack Overflow. Actually, she did like a weekly R office hours where people could kind of just like bring their questions um, and then they would work on some problem in R together every week. Um, and then you know, that's all kind of like documented. And then, you know, I think she would send like an email out to the to the team, like with like, hey, here's like the research questions we looked at. Here's the results. And they were always beautiful, you know, ggplot visualizations that she would share. Um, so I try to, I'm trying to do like this a really similar thing on my team with this like analytics um, office hours. Um, and uh, we use this tool called Gather, where it's like a, um, uh, it's like screen sharing, but you're in like a physical like town kind of like it's like you're in like a pixel art. You're like in a video game basically, and then you can like kind of like co-locate yourself with people. Um, so you kind of like walk. So we like set up a space to do the the workshop or the the brown or the uh, yeah the analytics office hours. And then we could like then physically like break off into small groups um, to kind of like work through problems together. Um, so it's yeah, like data like science a, office hours in Animal Crossing. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I have also had meetings in Animal Crossing, so yes. Which is uh, fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's like one way that I'm hoping to like um, yeah in the last in the last like in, well this is like yeah the first office hours but we we talked about everything about like how our A-B testing framework works internally and kind of like sharing that knowledge with the team. Uh, we talked about like um, how to use Google Analytics data to look at um, uh, traffic by like uh, what screen sizes people are using when they visit our site. Um, how to, you know, how to look at like different like client events, like how to use BigQuery. Like we, we touched on like so many things and, um, you know, it was like with people from like all across you know the team in different kind of roles and um so yeah i'm hoping that's like another way that we'll be able to kind of like socialize and kind of um yeah knowledge right share. right for our listeners that are interested in kind of getting a start in data science and understanding it in the web space where would you push them to like what would you say to them hey like i'm working in you know maybe they're a web designer or a pm that's not super data heavy where do I start, right? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is the best place to start. This is like where I like instinctively like always want to suggest people start, um, which is just like find something that you're personally interested in or passionate about and develop your own hypotheses or kind of like research question. Um, I think that that is kind of one of the ways that, you know, learning can be the most motivating um, for, 
for folks is to um, kind of like, yeah, make it kind of tied to something you're, you're personally interested in. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's like where I would start if I were learning is like, well, what kind of like problem seems adjacent to the space that I want to get into? Yeah. But also kind of intersects with maybe some interest that I have. Is it hard to get data, like get raw data sometimes? Like, you know, you mentioned scraping, right? That might be a technique that somebody's not familiar with, or, you know, it's like, I want to know every single, um, you know, Kamehameha that was done in Dragon Ball Z, how the hell would I figure that out? <laughs> Other than watching every episode and like counting them. Yeah. Right? Is there like, is there an image, right? Is there a way to like fly through the videos and like do a, a you know, a screen capture and it yeah. counts them, right? Yeah. Maybe there's like cool ways to do that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, finding like examples of somebody who's done maybe something really similar to what you want to do. So maybe it's not like capturing every Kamehameha from like a Dragon Ball Z episode. I don't know how many times that actually happens in an episode. I don't know. (laughs) In a season, like maybe, uh, you know, maybe you find somebody who does that, but it's like Homer Simpson saying dough in like an episode of Simpsons or something like that. And then I think like you can learn a lot just by like, you know, uh, you, if you try to tackle a whole problem start to finish when you don't know how like so many parts like that are required to accomplish it like that can be like really really overwhelming and so it is actually not a bad strategy to take something like fork it and then like repurpose it because then you're just maybe learning like the data collection aspect. Kind of reverse engineering it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe like, you know, yeah, depending on what you're forking or how you want to, you know, kind of apply it to what you're doing. Maybe, yeah, you could be learning like data collection. You could be learning like data labeling. You could be learning. So it's all like, um, I think that's like a good strategy because then you're able to kind of like, yeah, kind of like take it in like smaller chunks too. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, another kind of like, strategy is is also to like you know not necessarily like like copy and then kind of like work without like inspecting anything of what you've copied is to kind of actually go through the motions of like either you know literally just rewriting the code yourself um like the the actual like muscle memory and and motions of like um uh you know working through something even if you are like in the end just copying something um is uh can be you know, one way to kind of like absorb, um, but then also like modifying it, just like, you know, taking like small bits and then, you know, changing things here and there and seeing what happens. Um, uh, I'm not going to lie. That's how I learned programming. That's exactly, I I had books and I would just literally copy paste snippets and see what it does. And then if it broke, I was like, all right, what happened? Let me go dig in. And then you kind of start getting like, it starts clicking. Yep. Do you have any uh, like, you know, YouTube authors or, or, or creators out there that are doing things with data that would be like awesome if you were trying to break into it. Like understanding things like predictive analytics or like yeah. machine learning. It's like all that stuff, you can get overwhelmed with it if you're trying to get into data science. But like you mentioned, if you find the interest and then like just kind of having a, it can be overwhelming to know where to start. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so are there other people out there doing things that you love that you think would be great for beginners? 
don't really have a whole lot of. Well, I don't have an answer to this one. <laughs> I want to say <laughs> yeah. Kaggle. Just go to Kaggle and go start Kaggle. experimenting. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's with the the breadth of data sets that you have. Like, why wouldn't you? Uh, like the, yeah. the example that I brought up earlier, where you know I, I was building a uh, ML model and. That is kind of, you start with an idea and then you kind of start questioning, okay, where do I get the data? Maybe I'll start looking at Kaggle. Then you run into a notebook that somebody put together with something very similar. You're like, oh, cool. I'll, I, maybe I can just repurpose that. Uh, very serendipitous. And I feel like that yes. works typically, like, I don't know about you folks, but for me, it's much easier to learn when uh, I actually get more of a hands-on approach mm -hmm. versus I'm watching a YouTube video of somebody yeah. talking and then I'll be like, cool, thanks. Now I know what NLP is. Yeah. Uh, instead of like, let me just try some coding something up and see what happens. Yeah. But it, it, it's also interesting that um, what, what you're describing is Kaggle does so much for the data science community. Do you ever feel like it's, well, maybe not even feel, do you, do you actually see anyone kind of taking advantage of the the free capabilities and kind of doing their own Bitcoin mining and you know, <laughs> notebooks and stuff like that. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We, yeah, I definitely see that. Um, definitely see abuse. Um, but uh, yeah, we um, have, are, you know, benefit from some great internal, like, you know, Google tooling to kind of deal with that. Um, so yeah, we yeah have a great team that's done a lot to kind of like yeah mitigate um, some of that uh, or or most of it yeah fingers crossed. Um, it's interesting because we also see people using it for things like um, uh, uh, what was the like I don't know why but SETI is the example like yeah um, or using it to like calculate digits of, of pi or something like that you know like right super just, expensive calculations. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, using it. So we also see a little bit of that, and it's like oh, I feel bad, kind of like banning those kind of like a little bit, you know, not not quite Bitcoin mining, but yeah. Um, well, I mean, somebody has to pay for the compute, right? Yes. The compute is not free, yeah, and it comes not, out of someone's bill at the end of the day. And... Yeah. Don't we have that same issue at Microsoft then? Uh, I, I think that's generally an issue with any kind of platform that offers computer. I'm pretty sure if you know you go to uh, you know Google Collab, right, yes. where they have yep. the, the notebooks, right? You have yeah. the, you have the same thing where the moment you give somebody the ability to execute code in the browser, yep. the, the you know you can talk about literally any platform, be it mm -hmm. Java, .NET, Python. If you give them a runtime, yep. people will try to push it to its limits, and sometimes <laughs> the limits are you know. It's quite pricey, yes. so uh, yeah. it's 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 kind of I don't know reassuring to hear that this is not an isolated problem and this is something that even at the scale of Kaggle, I mean, you still have people that will try to kind of circumvent mm -hmm. the uh, the guardrails. Yeah, but yeah. That that being said, kind of you know, th there's a lot of work that goes into Kaggle. There's a lot of things that you're responsible for. How do you balance out because? As a product manager, you have to do a lot of things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you have to talk to customers. You think through kind of the features for the product. You have to talk to engineers. What's your strategy to just having this balanced approach to kind of making sure that you have coverage of everything? Ooh, um, yeah, that's a super good question, um, and it's becoming especially pertinent as I'm becoming responsible for more things at Kaggle. Um, you know, recently. 
Um, so I had been focused pretty pretty much solely on our notebooks product, but now I'm kind of like expanding to be responsible for more of um, uh, just product for the community side of you know our our business. And um, yeah, I mean it's 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 like prioritization for 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 anything like where where you know where are the things that are like you know urgent need to happen now where are the things that are you know urgent but can happen later or you know lower price that you know eventually you know um and then you know kind of like being ruthless with, with things that i can um you know cut or delegate um entirely um so there's like a lot of things i could be doing that would be um, you know, for me, like maybe super fun. Um, like I, I love like product analytics and, and could spend hours like, you know, writing queries and like, I'm just so curious about everything. I could, you know, spend tons of time doing that. Um, but yeah, identifying those things that like, you know, are going to have diminishing returns for my, you know, uh, hours spent. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's tricky. I think like, one of the things that I think, um, you know, I've been looking to to kind of like help with that too is like, um, how can we just as an organization make decisions more efficiently? Right now, um, we have a little bit of like siloing going on with our, our product teams. And so there's a lot of folks that are kind of like recreating the wheel on their own team, whether that is like strategy or, you know, um, uh, how they you know, kind of their their processes for product development, et cetera. Um, and so one thing I've been working on recently is like, what are things that we can kind of like, if we take them up to a level, a little, like a level above, um, how can we kind of then like scale, a, you know, more widely in a way that can help people, you know, not have, you know, have to attend like five different sprint meetings, but one, you know. Uh, and, uh, so that's like another way I think that I'm trying to improve, um, you know, uh, uh, the cost of like making any decision, um, across, just generally across the team. Fantastic. Well, this yeah. is great advice and a lot of good insights. I literally feel like we're chatting between friends because I have so many more questions and this is like a fireside <laughs> chat. Uh, but I know that we're at time and we're recording today a little bit later than usual. So I want to be respectful of Courtney's time zone. So uh, Meg, where can people find you if they want to learn more about the work that you do, uh, your Twitter account, of course? Yeah. Yeah. So you can find me. You can follow me on Twitter at Megan Rizdahl. And you can find me on Kaggle at mkaggle.com slash mrizdahl. And then I have a blog at, at meg.dev. Wow, this is a good name. I, I like I uh, when the .dev domain was still coming out, and I was like, I don't need it, whatever. I have my .com. But I was like, I can get a three-letter one. This is good. <laughs> this is, Just so yeah, everybody be sure to go follow Meg on Kaggle so you can watch her Dwarf Fortress issues yes. tracker. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yes. you can follow me on Kaggle. Yes. And you recently had an article on uh, the NVIDIA blog. Yes, I did. I so did. I'll make sure to link that as well. That, yep. That's, you know, if there's any uh, kind of proof that you're collaborating across companies even, not so, not even just Kaggle itself. So this is fantastic. Congratulations on being published there. Yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, at that, hopefully we'll get to chat with you soon on some other episode. You know, we're wrapping up, you know, this is pre-Thanksgiving, so we're getting into the Christmas zone. 
And I'm guessing a lot of people will be out, but once the new season rolls out, season two of the work item, we'll have you come in and talk to us more about the awesome things that Kaggle is shipping. Awesome. Sounds great. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, Meg. Yeah, thank you guys.